to Four Color Nerds Comics Edition. This is episode 91. I'm Carissa, and I'm joined by the other nerds, Matt. Hello. And Ryan. Hello. Christina is exploring the Negative Zone, which is also a Weezer concert in Denver. Um, The weekly barrage of comics and comic-related news can be pretty scary, so we're here to let you know what to check out. We read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them, and anything else that pops up into the world of comics, or just, you know, in our brains. There's a chance of spoilers, so if you're worried about them, take a break now and go read your pull list, then come on back. We will be reviewing Batman number 32, Spirit of Vengeance number 1, Punisher of the Platoon number 1, All New Guardians of the Galaxy number 11, Slots number 1, and Batman White Knight number 1. News from the bullpen. Oh, we're doing that now? It says okay. it right there. <laughs> I've, hey, I'm getting used to the new script, too. <laughs> so the thing that really caught my eye this week was at New York Comic Con, Jim Lee announced the relaunch of Vertigo in August of 2018, which is the uh, anniversary, the 25-year anniversary of the original launch of Vertigo. So Vertigo is DC's creator-owned imprint, and it's brought us some of the best comics out there. You've got um, a a laundry list of great series. Sandman. Sandman. uh, Swamp Thing. Why the Last Man. Fables. 100 Bullets, I think, was a... Yeah, 100 Bullets, The Losers, Preacher. Just a wide variety. And most recently... They've had some Vertigo series that we really liked, especially we really enjoyed Clean Room. So I'm really glad to see that they're redoing this line. I think it's important to have creator-owned comics, and Image does a Image and Aftershock do a pretty good job of that market, but I think that there's room for more creator-owned content. So I'm really looking forward to this. We have to wait a year, but that means they're probably starting to write the things now, so... I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, Vertigo is kind of like Modern Image, but Modern Image basically is what Vertigo was. <laughs> it's hard to explain for people who weren't there through it all, but uh, I'm really super happy about this. They they started saying, oh, there's only one Vertigo book left, and then that one died. So to see that they've got plans for it coming back is really awesome. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward not just to if they... I hope they don't just relaunch old series. I hope that we get new content, which I imagine they're going to do. So I'm really looking forward to it. We'll learn more as we get closer to it, but I was really excited to see that. Some of my favorite stuff has been from Vertigo. Yep. I'm going to go listen to some Smashing Pumpkins and some Tori Amos, a little bit of Cure. <laughs> Just transport back to the 90s? Yep, back when I was young. <laughs> Every episode, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd, and my pick goes to Batman number 32, stolen from Matt. Our companion song is You're So Bad by Tom Petty, because, well, one... I've been listening to a lot of Tom Petty because I love Tom Petty and I mourn his passing. And while I was reading this book, the chorus in particular, because a lot of the lyrics are are, are him telling a story of someone else completely different that has nothing to do with Batman. But the chorus in particular kept playing in my mind because there's uh, this overall dynamic between Bruce and Selina throughout this whole issue of them just being there for each other. And, you know, Catwoman is technically a bad guy ish in the Batman universe and so saying you're so bad and like she's going to be the one that saves him and 
best he's ever had. I just like that sentiment and it really plays to the romantic side of me, which the guys might not necessarily feel the same way, but for me, it was my pick so they can suck it. <laughs> well, I think that romance between Selena and Bruce is essential to this story, right? That his conflict of having done something really horrible and having to let the person you know know everything about you, you know, I think that that is as much of a part of the story as anything else. So, And I think also the, the you're so bad is, is um, and maybe that's what you were getting towards, but I think that's kind of what he's been worried about and what he's been trying to say the whole time is he feels like this is this thing makes him bad. Like he stepped over his own rule and his own line. And he's worried that right. she's just going to be like, like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I have to go and I'll never see you again kind of thing. He's worried this is going to push her away so much, but it, it's, he feels that he's so bad basically. Yeah. So let's see what you think. So let's take a listen. Batman, number 32, A War of Jokes and Riddles, Conclusion. DC Comics, written by Tom King, pencils and inks by Mikhail Janin, colors by Jun Chung. I picked this comic because, like I mentioned with the song, there's these amazing pages and panels that I just could not get out of my mind. Because there are some other books that I really like this week, but these panels of Bruce and Selina in the bedroom, sitting on the couch, and him telling the story, there's this realism and tenderness and just they're just drawn so well just the comforting the motion the movement and like if you're just glancing at the pages you might not see the movement because they're very similar but they're so subtle and I just think they're so powerful and so well executed I could not get them out of my mind they're really good moments of like human tenderness and vulnerability and there's a lot of them i mean there's a few of these spattered throughout this particular arc but this one has a lot of them but then just the storyline of the culmination of it all where the riddler like explains his his plan i guess as it were all along and just like like how his mind works and what he was thinking and just that line like is he laughing and you're just like oh Damn. And then what it comes down to where you see that moment that Bruce has been leading up to not wanting to reveal and then how it comes to a conclusion is both brutal and interesting and clever. And just that panel of the Joker just finally he does laugh. It's just like, oh, I'm trying not to give a lot away, a lot of it away, but it, it's really powerful. And I think extremely executed and you can tell it's well thought out and it really makes you think because it's not that overarching horrible gore show that kind of you get the feeling leading up that it might be of the whole madness it's very underlining it's very personal yeah it's personal i'm saying it's there's just something very like unnerving about it it really i don't know it just kind of clicks and then you're just like oh yeah that's not good i can see that that ain't bad but i don't know there's something about it it really just stuck in my head and i was just really impressed with how this was done i mean i've been impressed with the whole arc but this how it wrapped up you're like yes that's exactly how it needed to end and I it's like perfect. It. I, I literally I want a hard copy, you know, printing of this arc or the the whole the oh, storyline. Sure. It's, Absolutely. it's a masterwork. I mean, it's honestly a masterwork. It is straight up Batman. It the writing is just pitch perfect. Everything is perfect about this story. I'm 
I'm so happy in the ending. It this is one of the most romantic comics I've ever seen, which probably isn't saying a lot because there's not a lot of romantic comic books. But this book is is very romantic, but it's also so very Batman. It's extremely Batman. It's like what you think of when you just tear all the crap away and, you know, latex costumes and nipples and whatever. This is Batman, right? When you take him down to his base, this storyline here is Batman. It's got everything in it. If you want to start reading Batman, read this. Yeah, this will go in my stack of the three or four Batman books that I hand someone when they want to start reading Batman. This is, like you said, this is a masterwork. This is brilliant. And the thing that I like about it is... It's just as much about Bruce the man as the Batman. And you get this real sense of vulnerability of him, of he may be this huge hulking martial arts detective master, but at his core, he's this little boy who was left alone. And that's really his fear here with Selina, that she's going to see him for what he is, and she's going to leave. You know, So there's this vulnerability in it. This whole issue for the first, maybe third of the book, is pretty much a silent issue, which I really like when they do that. Like As I was reading it, there were no words on the page, and I was thinking, this is such strong writing, as I was flipping through the silent pages. I figured you would love that. Yes, Mikhail Janin deserves a lot of credit for being able to convey things here with words. And then not only do you get all this really intense character stuff that goes right to their core there's some pretty intense action that goes on here too and i mean again i don't want to reveal the the bad thing that happens but when the when you see what happens and then the joker's kind of intervention in what happened that's a great panel and then where he's just standing there you mentioned this a little bit where he's just laughing and the whole page is just filled with his mad laughter and batman is just kind of collapsed down into the corner it's really 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 good yeah it was the result ended up being a lot more psychological than i thought it was going to be and so that was a nice delight and it's like I think how Matt put it, it's um, it's everything you want from a comic with the pow, pink, you know, all that kind of superhero trope. But that added romance just makes it like this icing on the cake for me as a girl. I'm a sucker for romance. And I am like, it's comics and love. Oh, my God, I'm so happy. And that's why I'm like, I love this issue. I love this arc. It's so good. Yeah, this is a triumph of what Batman should be. Batman should be intensely psychological with punching and bat gadgets. And that's, you know, kind of what we get here. Anything else to say, Matt? Nope. Alrighty. Um... I mean, this, this one's kind of hard because we it, the, the reveal, what happens at the end, we really don't want to ruin that for you. It is, it is shocking. It will, you know, it kind of shakes your understanding of Batman and his understanding of himself. But I, I don't want to reveal what it is. You should read it for yourself. All right, I'm going to give it five. The answer is who cares? I will give it five. Now that, that's funny. I'm going to give it five. I'm not noble. I'm not some knight in the dark. I'm just what he made me. Oh, chilling. So good. So as long as we're on kind of the downer, you know, I am I am what I am and there's no denying it. And I got here through a bad way. Let's talk about slots number one from Image Comics, which is both written by and art by Dan... Panosian. So this is entirely his creation, which kind of fits for image books that we talked about a little bit earlier that they are creator owned here. And I always kind of have to tip my hat to someone who can write and draw and do both pretty well. And I feel like he does both of these well in this book. Sometimes, and you've mentioned this before, Carissa, when you'll get like a writer who does his own art, you're like, "Mm, I don't know, dude, you know, you probably should have outsourced that. But here, I think the art and the writing is both are both pretty pretty good scoundrels criminals and down on their luck losers 
This book kind of tells you the story of the rundown, seedy underbelly of Las Vegas. Our main character, Stanley, is a washed-up boxer and con man who we meet pulling his last petty con. He's kind of at the end of his luck, and before he commits suicide... In the book, he gets a call calling in favors, so that's when he heads to Las Vegas. Not to the Strip, but to Fremont Street, the old, dirty, gritty Las Vegas. He's drawn into a rundown casino struggle to keep the one thing that's keeping it running, a popular Belesh show, open. And then as part of his scheme to save this thing, he re-enters a boxing, the boxing MMA world. And then you find out both problems that they're having center on the children of the two main characters you meet, the casino owner and Stanley. I liked it. Um, well, mm, I should take it back. So I really liked the beginning. Uh, when it got to like the fighting part, I was kind of, it started to lose me. That wasn't as interesting. I kind of like more the con right. aspect and the drawings. There's some drawings like the beginning. I really like the drawings, but I felt like the style kind of shifted and moved a little, like it got a little bit more looser or grittier in some paces. And then, like, then it would get cleaner again. So, but in general, the art was okay. But uh, yeah, I was more interested in the con part more than the, you know, boxing part for me. But in general, I did like it. I did like the way that con at the very beginning, where I mean, I guess I'll reveal it now. He's he's at the diner uh, and he's ordered all this stuff, and he goes to take a phone call outside, and the short order cook is like, "Hey, that guy didn't pay," and she's like, "Don't worry, his keys are here. He'll be back." And then he drives off because he has all these spare keys that he leaves on the counter. So he can diner ditch them. So I like the way they stretch that out. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Matt, as a Las Vegas resident, what do you think of this portrayal of your beloved city? I don't love this city. <laughs> this this is not my Gotham. This is just, I hate Vegas. <laughs> it's so in a way, city. it is your Gotham. <laughs> um, no, because Bruce loves Gotham. Uh, I, I don't like Vegas. True. But um, I don't generally tend to go to the parts that, it, that he's going to. I don't even go to the shiny parts. The Strip and Fremont and all that is this tiny little bit of a mostly suburban area. So I, I, I'm not a huge super fan of this movie, or this book, rather. The art was good, and the writing was good. It's just not my cup of tea. I don't really care about the book. Uh, like, if it wasn't a pick, then I probably wouldn't have picked it up and read it. It doesn't have anything that catches my eye, but it, it's well done for what it is. This feels like it could be almost like an indie version of Rocky as an old man, in a way. Or like a Coen Brothers movie. I think those really feel like this book. I'd have to read more to hmm. see if it was a Coen Brothers movie, because even those are a little bit more interesting than I felt this was. But <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to badmouth it. it. It's not a bad book. It's just not my personal tastes. I like the kind of more realistic, gritty. Not even really antiheroes. Just a bunch of scumbags thrown together in. I don't know if this is going to end up being a criminal caper, but those kind of desperate criminal activities where people who really aren't competent are trying to do things and they just go horribly wrong. I like those too. Vins and I love Rat Pack movies. Yeah. And that's yeah. specifically what Rat Pack movies are. I just don't think this was done as well as a Rat Pack movie. It's just, it's just, it's not me. It's good though. I think Rat Packs are a little bit more, the characters in Rat Packs are a little bit more redeeming. This guy is clearly a shady motherfucker. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't seem like a really good character. And I'm not sure if this is going to be the story of his, of his redemption or he's going to live and die the same way, which is, you know, an untrustworthy scumbag who screws everybody over and, you know, creates chaos in, in his wake, so... I don't know, but I am interested to see it. I do like books that are not superhero books. And I think if you like that kind of pessimistic view of people on the bottom, 
trying to fight their way back or out that this might be for you. I will give it three and a half time to stir the pot. I gave it three and a quarter extra set of keys. I'll give it three and a quarter. Before I can even sign you to a fight, you already go and lose one? <laughs> the next book is The Punisher, The Platoon Number 1, Crack the Sky and Shake the Earth by Marvel Comics. Written by Garth Ennis, pencils and inks by Gordon Parlov, colors by Jordi Belair. This is a return to Punisher for Garth Ennis, who is one of the quote-unquote classic Punisher writers and part of the wave of creators from England, Scotland, and Ireland in the late 80s, early 90s. Usually writes pretty grounded stories, even when he's writing about larger-than-life characters. Uh, This is told in a a pretty cinematic format, I felt, where it's a a war novel writer that we don't actually get to see. Everything in the modern day is from their perspective, Um, but they're interviewing some of Frank Castle old board buddies about Frank's first command in Vietnam, which they believed helped shape his crusade later in life. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty nice and a grim kind of, just like you're saying, a not superhero story, but had uh, a superhero world character in it. There's no superpowers at all in this book. It's just Punisher, but not even the Punisher. It was kind of before that. It's kind of like a prequel. What'd you guys think? It's like a comic book version of like Full Metal Jacket or uh, Apocalypse Now kind of feel. I think the Vietnam movie to me that it most resembles is uh, We Were what was it We Were Soldiers. I haven't seen that one. It's the Mel Gibson one. It's based on the book We Were Young. We Were Soldiers is the name of a movie. Yeah, We we Were Soldiers, yeah. Which is about this battle in Vietnam, which is what this is, but you see it from both the Vietnamese side and the American side. And you get to see how both human beings on both sides are affected. And this book does that really well. So that's what it reminded me of a lot. But you're right. Like, you could strip out, and they did essentially strip out everything Marvel and almost everything Punisher from this. This is a straight-up war story. Yeah, so yeah. One of the comments I was going to say about it was that if you're going in expecting a Punisher book, you're not going to get that at first. It's, this is handled completely different than you might be going expecting. It's really fucking good, though. <laughs> That's not saying that it's not good. I'm just saying, but if someone's going in expecting a Frank Cast- Castle shoot 'em up in the Marvel style, they're not going to get that. You're getting a little, you're getting something more and it's handled in a different way in a good way, but it is completely different, like a set apart from what you normally would get. I didn't realize this until just now. This is actually a Max comics, the Marvel's Max imprint, which is explicit content books. I didn't feel like we actually got that much explicit content in this. I think it's more complex. Like it's adult in the way that good adult stories are, you know, Not a lot of tits and blood, necessarily, but dealing with really mature themes and complex characters. Um, It also means that it's eventually going to get (laughs) Max-ish. Garth Ennis writes these kind of stories about masculinity and war, and he hasn't gone away. He's actually done a whole series called War Stories over at a smaller imprint that this could have easily been another in that series. And those stories are... I mean, it's a return to Punisher. He also did The Boys. Uh, he, uh, he did Preacher. There's so much shit that Garth Ennis has done. But it's all Welcome some back, authority. Frank. I think he did the Midnighter miniseries. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff, but it's always this sort of stuff. It's gritty and dark and human. Correct. Yeah, when, you, I, when I picked this, because yeah, maybe Matt swapped, obviously, I stole his book. Welcome Back Frank was the first thing I thought of when I saw Ennis' name attached to this. He is just about the perfect writer for The Punisher. I agree. This That's why I was excited to read it. 
Yeah, I really liked this book a lot. Like I said, it really does feel to me like an almost like an indie war book rather than a Marvel book. So I'm glad that they almost not necessarily tacked on, you know, the Punisher to the title. But this book could have easily just been called The Platoon and been almost the exact same book. Except there was already a platoon, so suing. True, true. <laughs> and I did I did also like the way that they framed the story with the writer who's interviewing the the old guys in the bar, the surviving members of the mm-hmm. platoon, and how, you know, not all of them are eager to talk and they talk about how Vietnam changed, you know, a generation that that's where America lost its innocence and then there's this nice retort from this old guy who's like, when did you think America was innocent? And then they start listing all of these like atrocities that America has committed. So the book is complex, and I like that. I agree. I'm going to give it, because I, I really, really liked it, I'm going to give it four and a half. Goddamn, motherfucker. Swear to God. Damn it! <laughs> That's what I was going to do. <laughs> Fine. Well, I'm going to give it four. That's well done. I didn't think you were going to take that one, Matt. Damn it. <laughs> I will give it four. I had the officer in my sight. The range was great, and I believe I would have killed him. Nice. Okay, let's take a little bit of break from the comic book reviews, and we're going to go over some merch as a real quick segment. But uh, we like comic book-related stuff, and here's something that we think you might like. This one is, and Ryan might argue with me about this being comic book-related, but there is a Rick and Morty comic book. And it is actually really good. I've thought about putting it on here, but as Ryan doesn't know whether or not he likes Rick and Morty yet, I'm not going to say he doesn't like it. I haven't put it I've on there. S- I've seen one episode, <laughs> and it didn't grab me, but I didn't hate it either. So I haven't reserved judgment. It's on my list of things to go back right. and watch. So uh, this one is the Rick and Morty toy portal gun. And yes, I know there's already an official Rick and Morty toy portal gun, but this one is from Funko, and at this point, they own a good portion of my soul. It is... This is true, me too. Yeah. And Christina. It's not quite out yet, but it should arrive just in time for, you know, whatever winter holiday you celebrate, and hopefully it's easier to get than that goddamn Szechuan chicken McNugget sauce. There's uh, pre-orders that you can get through Amazon and a few other websites out there. It takes batteries, and some of the pictures I've seen of it actually have it lighting up, so I'm hoping it lights up and makes sound. Uh, There's also, if you are a maker, uh, there's a few videos on YouTube, including one by Odin, uh, to show you how to actually make one of these. It's a pretty easy build, but if not, you can go ahead and head down to whatever your favorite retailer is and pick up the Funko Rick and Morty toy portal gun. Sweet. Cool. Speaking of sci-fi stuff yes all new guardians of the galaxy number 11 the highway patrolman marvel comics written by gary duggan pencils and inks by roland boschi i can never say your name bochi you know colors it by daniel brown so we had just caught up with the present day of this story and now we're bouncing back into the past find out who that Shi'ar was, who with the nega bands that Peter is fighting. We start with Richard Ryder investigating, it looks like a hulk of a ship that was abandoned floating in space. And he's talking about how when they were racing away, dealing with the cancer verse, that there was this ship had sent out a distress call and they're investigating, trying to figure out what it is. And as they're doing so, he finds out that the message was sent from Robbie, his, his little brother, and asking for help. So he decides, well, okay, I'm off on this mission. And he's investigating. Through the course of the investigation, you, you see flashbacks then with Robbie 
back on Xandar and what happens to him. So he, he has some dealing with the Shi'ar. And basically the Shi'ar fuck him. They put a helmet on him that basically like speeds up the process of um, uh, Stockholm Syndrome, I guess. This is the only way I can think to put it. And we find, and I don't know, are we giving the reveal? Do I tell him? Okay, I'm going with it. Robbie ends up turning to Shi'ar R, and he is the one who volunteers saying Talon R. What? A Talon R. Sorry, Talon R. And he... Because he decides not to die with his Nova helmet on. Instead, he decides to embrace the Talons and, you know, this dramatic thing. Um, and he's like, oh, I volunteer. I know where we can find some Negabands. And, you know, he wins the favor of their the head who's leading this group of the Shi'ar. And so you realize that he's the one who broke in, knew that mummified remains was on the Milano to begin with and scratched and poisoned Rocket. Which means that, like, what? When they rebuilt the Milano, they just happened to shove a mummified body in there with some negabands? I don't know what some weird juju's going on with that. But There's some super weird stuff here. Yeah. Because the last time that any of the Novas were involved with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and before anybody gets complaining, oh God, this entire book had no Guardians in it, Nova is a Guardian. Correct. He's one of the original Guardians. I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy, there's actually like 30 members of the whole team. But it's like saying um, the Avengers. All, yeah. Yeah. They it, all came out of the Annihilation Wave, which is a fantastic fucking series. Um, but uh, the Milano didn't exist back then. The Milano's not that old of a ship it came with the movie and so i'm like how does he know about anything with the milano yeah so it is kind of odd in that respect but then i was like then i was trying to think like was it the milano no i'm pretty sure they were in the milano unless they were in some other ship at the beginning i didn't go i obviously didn't go back and check but so yeah i mean you get i like that this adds a little bit more insight to what was going on it is the story is jumping around this is a particular arc where you can't kind of just pick it up. You, you're going to have to read the whole thing because you will get confused picking this up and expecting a Guardians book and you're getting Nova's. Guardians as the current iteration of the team. Right. Because the team does change. That's what I say when I'm saying Guardians. I mean, this, this was jarring to me in the fact that none of the characters that we identify with as current Guardians of the Galaxy or the subjects of this series are in here. That doesn't mean this was bad. I was just like, did I... Like, grab the wrong book? Did I grab I a Nova book thought. by mistake? But. And the art is, like, completely yeah. different than the other books have been, too. Which I felt was good for doing this kind of trick of switching us over, but I'm like, wait, what? And I think it was neat how when Richard does finally get to Xandar and follow up, he does find clues that uh, Robbie was there. But it has been, like, so much time has passed. And so it is a, it's, it's, it's an interesting kind of development. I like seeing how this is playing out it's, and how time is being played with in this arc. It's kind of interesting. I thought the scene where he's holding the two helmets out to him, where he's holding the Nova helmet out to him and the, the Talon helmet to him and telling him you can either die wearing your Nova helmet or be reborn wearing the Talon helmet and whichever one you choose is going to be the right decision. I thought that scene was done really well. That mm -hmm. was good writing. Yeah, I'm wondering if we're going to get a redemption story for Robbie because there was some talk a little bit ago about how, and I don't know why because he's never been a great character, Darkhawk is going to come back. But I think the original Darkhawk is dead. So I'm wondering if Robbie's going to come back and be the superhero Darkhawk as part of like the greater cosmic Guardians books. Interesting. I mean, it's interesting because I know we talk about how like the comics have changed because of the movies and vice versa. And, but they've definitely said that after this, the next movie, the team is changing. So it looks like they're trying to build up for having people either be familiar with or accept these new characters. So maybe that's where the comics are taking us towards, you know, 
introducing new iterations and bringing those more to the forefront to new fans. Yeah, and I don't know if we're going to get a redemption story, but if you're going to take a whole issue and tell you about a character that you really haven't heard that much about, it's either because he's going to be redeemed or he's going to die and his death should mean something. One of the two. One of my favorite lines was when he's like, no one's going to come through that door for you. No one's kicking that door in. And like, oh, and he's pointing to the Nova symbol and and to take you home. And he's just like, uh, you know, that was like harsh. That's that's the part right after you're talking about the helmets, you know, you know which one will be the right answer but the fact that he's like no one's gonna come and save you it's like oh. and then you get that trick where you think that's what happened and you're like nope right. oh time has passed <laughs> yeah that was a nice bit of writing and and putting those two images together i'm gonna give it four it used to happen like that because oh harsh. I don't know if this was a Guardians of the Galaxy book, but it was still pretty decent. I will give it three and a half, find the bands and the stones and destroy everything in your path. I'm going to give it four, pick the helmet or the talons. Whatever you decide will be the right answer. Sweet. Nice. So I'm going to take us over to a different version of Gotham City here for Batman White Knight number one from DC Comics, written by Sean Murphy, pencils and inks by Sean Murphy, Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. So again, I want to give credit. I didn't intentionally pick both of my books this week to be essentially a writer and artist being the same person, but that's how they shook out, and I think they do really good. Before I get into the summary of the plot, one thing I really do want to mention for the art is this reminds me a lot of, if you've read Arkham Asylum, really reminds me of, I can agree. of that. So essentially, this is an Elseworlds, Elseworlds story, which if you're not familiar with Elseworlds, is kind of DC's version of the old What If comics from Marvel. So I don't know if this is actually, this is not set in normal DC continuity, which kind of frees you to tell stories that you don't have to worry about the you know universe impact of them. So in this one, Batman is losing control. He's become more violent, more reckless. He's ignoring all of his Bat companions, like Batgirl and Nightwing and on essentially like a rampage. We're introduced to the Joker who sees himself as Batman's other partner. The one who pushes him, makes him better. A lot like the reverse Flash and his relationship with the Flash. That's the sense that I got from this relationship. You know, the Joker talks about how love and hate are the same thing. So the fact that Batman thinks he hates him, really loves him, that he sees him on the same side. So the Joker leads Batman on a mad chase through the city with a tank driving on roofs and attacking and endangering civilians and he eventually gets led to this warehouse that's been filled with all these experimental drugs that the fda is going to dispose of and he beats the living shit out of the joker and it gets caught on a cell phone camera and goes viral and then that kind of turns the city against batman but while he's beating Batman, he takes all of the pills and is just shoving them down the Joker's throat because the Joker says that the like the medicine can make him better. So Batman is, you know, telling him if you want to get better, take these and he's shoving them in his mouth and the Joker's actually choking, you know, and can't breathe while he's doing this. So the Joker survives and now claims to be sane again. And he goes and he sues the Gotham City Police Department for basically standing by and doing nothing while Batman has done all these vigilante things. And then he says that he owes Gotham this debt, and he's going to save the city as the White Knight. And then one thing that's interesting is the book actually opens up kind of the beginning of the book is the end of the book, where you see Batman in chains being taken out of prison by the Joker because the Joker needs his help, which calls back to a lot of like Batman having to go get people from Arkham Asylum to help him. So this one is is different. 
Definitely. But I thought it was pretty good. I liked that line between love and hate and the Joker seeing himself as Batman's friend, essentially. The one who does the thing he things he needs to do. I like the switch to the Joker now being you know, quote unquote sane, although not everyone believes he is. And, the you know, he can be a force for good in the city. So it's interesting. It definitely is an Elseworlds book. What'd you guys think of it? I think the person who took the video was Harley Quinn. It looked like her, um, her kind of silhouette. And so I think there's a bigger plan going on there, like in the Joker that's going to be revealed later. And then, you know, I liked it too. I thought it was an interesting take. It was refreshing. It is a big depart from what we were reading in for once our pick of the week. Um, though you hurt my Alfred and um, that, that never, that takes away some points. Oh, where you find Not out that he's been hurt or sick and that Batman is working with Mr. Freeze. Yeah. Yeah. So that was him. But I did like the darker, grittier type. Um, I like seeing Jack Napier, that, that version of the Joker kind of being all debonair and gangster. That's kind of cool. I don't know. I found it really intriguing and interesting. Like, I really want to see where it goes. And just, yeah, it's, just, it's a little bit grittier. It's, it's, it's a little... It's a little new. (laughs) The art really kind of drives home that kind of almost like manic sense of the world not quite being right. Like the art is really, when I say rough, I don't mean not done well. I just mean that the lines are not, it doesn't look realistic. You know, it looks almost like a fever dream that's happening. I think that's a good, fever dream is a good description of uh, the art style. I really do wish that they'd go back to using the Elseworlds like little tag on there. It's not that it falters for not having the Elseworlds. It just... Those kind of made them special stories kind of things. And I, I think they're made a little, just a tiny hair bit better by having Elseworlds tagged on there. I liked it. It's a, kind of an interesting take on the whole story. Batman is always kind of on that edge of madness and falling into being a, a bad guy. Uh, they like to make the comparison of, you know, why do we let this guy run around and do all this fucking crazy shit? So it, it, it kind of brings that little bit of okay, well, what happens if, you know, all these things tie together and we finally realize, oh yeah, Batman is a crazy guy. The only thing I didn't like is Batman's fucking costume and those goddamn knee-high, or no, like <laughs> like thigh-high boots he had on and then the, like, side things. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> but the rest of it I, I thought was good. It's funny because the first thing I look for, I'm like, does he have the underwear? Because Matt will freak out. Okay, good, he doesn't have the <laughs> underwear. The underwear, but those boots are stupid. I like the rest of it, though. I also felt like they were definitely making a comment on a lot of the police brutality videos and murders that we've seen captured on film from cell phones and how I don't yet know exactly what they're trying to say about it, but they're definitely making a commentary on that as well. That Harley Quinn will record the police doing things, <laughs> getting everybody in trouble. I agree with you because the costume or the, the clothing on the person who's walking mm-hmm. away, you can't see their face, but the hair is the same as the cover picture and that woman was wearing red and black. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was getting with that. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I think it is different. It doesn't fit in DC continuity. That's not necessarily a bad thing because this story, you know, it's a story they are trying to tell that they don't want to have to tie into how it affects the rest of the DC universe. And it's pretty good. It's pretty violent and bloody and intense. The Batman in here reminds me a lot of Batman from The Dark Knight Returns. In the way that he, yep. his physicality and the way that he looks. Yeah, you see that? Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like in the, those stories too, Batman is much more violent and on the edge here. So you definitely see Batman kind of slipping away into that. So it's interesting for sure. I will give it four. We're a team. Bats. It <clears throat> that's our dynamic. All that's missing is the Ew. makeup sex. <laughs> Damn it, no, sorry, I have to find something else now. Damn it. It's a good line. <laughs> I had it even open right there waiting. Go, Matt, if you know. 
Dirty, dirty. What can I say? We're both dirty perverts. I'm going to give it four and a half. Fine. You want to get better? Then open up. Oh, no. Christ. Bruce, don't. I'm going to give it four. The city deserves better than you, better than the Joker, better than the Dark Knight. And so I'm going to be her White Knight. Let's do that one. It's not as funny or good. (laughs) Well, my next book doesn't have any... white knights at all <laughs> it's all kind of kind of dark we're heading over to <laughs> spirits of vengeance number one war at the gates of hell part one by marvel comics written by victor gishler pencils and inks by david baldian and colors by andres mosa in the 90s marvel put out a, a set of books that wasn't quite an imprint but was mostly separate from the colorful superhero world that you're accustomed to there's a type of vertigo but over at marvel still with some of that marvel flair this book is kind of a return to that aesthetic as the the books in that line have been largely kind of not in print the characters kind of show up or they've got new versions of the characters or just they're in special you know six issue runs or something like that since the early 21st century so we get back of some of the the core characters of the midnight suns the original ghost rider johnny blaze blade hellstrom the son of satan and his sister satana the daughter of Satan. <laughs> hell bacon. Crazy- yeah, that's what I thought as soon as I saw her. I'm like, hell bacon. But we get some, some kind of crazy Marvel <laughs> occult hijinks. The, the whole thing starts off with Johnny Blaze. He gets a mystery, pulls Hellstrom in, and they, they're kind of quickly accelerating to pulling in all the, the cool occult characters, and at least the the main characters that we've got for this series. I thought it was pretty neat as a, a Midnight Suns kind of reboot almost. It's got the legacy banner up at the top, and it looks like a Midnight Suns cover. I thought it was pretty awesome that way this felt like a it definitely felt like a comic book story but it felt like a really dark comic book story like there was violence and blood and satan like this really feels like some like pounding heavy metal should be playing in the background while you're reading 90s pounding heavy metal yes yes this is marvel this that that was midnight i don't know if you read midnight suns back then this is midnight suns written a little bit more intelligibly i also was really happy to see johnny blaze back with his ghostwriter stuff felt really dark and and dangerous with him i don't necessarily know if it was great because it does have kind of a like you said what you called it the marvel flair Mm -hmm. you know it does still feel like a comic book version of this but it does feel a lot more like independent than your normal marvel stuff and for anybody gets curious how are there two ghost riders the ghost rider that's in robbie reyes is not the same spirit that's in johnny blaze johnny blaze has zarathos and uh the one that's in robbie reyes is like a i think a satanist uncle Hmm. basically did some sort of spell which is why he doesn't ride him around a motorcycle. Instead, he has the the charger. What do you think of this one? Carissa? I like the journey, like the him trying to figure out what's going on, like the traveling to meet different contacts and how they, and the situations, how drastic they were, and like you kind of see like what's happening and like the progress of like the other like demon entities in that world, how they feel something coming, and, like like so the one was like in the Bronx and it was that really gritty, gross you know place, and then they went to that you know back to Wall Street where it was like a high end like tea house, like they're having breakfast at Tiffany's kind of shit, and like. But they're talking to each other. We're not looking at each other at, while they're at their tables. I, don't know, I just kind of like the progression of like the investigation. I also felt like we were seeing like a different side of the Marvel universe. Like there's an occult mystery, and they don't go to Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. 
you know he's like the goody two-shoes magic they're going to you know straight to satan basically or his children i should say yeah yeah sometimes the darkness needs to be fought by the darkness which is not to say that dr strange is a, a clean guy they're clean their own house yeah pretty much and like you know with the with blade being included i'm wondering because i know there had been some kind of rumblings in the fandom that they might be rebooting blade or bringing it back and so with him included in this again i think they might be testing the waters for that as it were I'm pretty sure he's on the legacy list of what's coming no up. no movie wise they're pretty talking sure. about doing a movie reboot yeah but i think this kind of tests the waters for the fandom when they do that with the comic to see if it's movie yeah, they're doing worthy. it with his movie costume so i think they will yeah all righty cool i'm going to give it for that's actually danny catch's costume that they show later on in the book not johnny blazes but whatever <laughs> i'm gonna give it three and a half dozen donuts i will give it three and a half it's me you wouldn't have this number in the first place if it weren't important beeps coming make it good beep nice. that's a hell of a lot of donuts by the way holy shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> <a> big guy <laughs> uh, that, that, that those drawings where you can see the filth in the rolls i'm like wow it's really well done <laughs> it is yeah, you can definitely, yeah, it, it's well done. It's visceral. Yeah. So our book list for next week is? So we've got Falcon number one, uh, which is part of the Legacy line. We've got Dark Knight's Metal number three. We've got Ragman number one. And then... I'm actually going to be stealing the Fantastic Four teleporter next weekend because I will be out at the, the Las Vegas Ren Fair, so I will not be there. Oh, okay. I don't have picks for next Fancy. week. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take the new Amazing Spider-Man. It's the return of Down on His Luck, not Super Rich Spider-Man. I like the stuff that Dan Slott has done. I just hate Super Rich Peter Parker. So I'm glad, again, with Legacy, taking him back to his, you know, Down on His Luck roots. So that's my pick or my, my book for next week. I'll say I could lean towards Dr. Afra or Miss Marvel. I think there's a rocket. Yeah, there's a ne- there also, the next issue of rockets in there. Wow. Well, yeah, probably rocket. I do like I am. I do like me some space caper rodent. Oh, wait. This is Runaways number two. So yep. probably rocket and Runaways number two. Then yes, Runaways number two. <laughs> and there's my girl on the cover. Yes. <laughs> and then we're also going to have Christina's book. Rocket number six. Pick. And then... Listeners, if you think there's a book that we really should cover that you haven't heard us mention, go ahead and drop us a message on our Facebook page, and we probably will we will choose the one that has the most responses. So now's your chance to to tell us a book that we should read. Yeah, are we missing out on something? I want to know. Sure, we re- we say we read a variety of books, so let's let's expand that out. And we will also give you know a shout out to the people who, who mentioned that book. If you liked our opening music and want to download it, the song is called Rat Race by the Groovy Ghoulies from their album Ghost Stories. Special thanks to Kepi, the singer of the Groovy Ghoulies, for use of this song. We'll have a link in the show notes so that you can go buy it. So that was the world of comics for this week. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts on original streaming media, Cut the Cord at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. And be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.